There are two types of people in the world. One person who looks in the mirror and decides to go to the gym, and the other who looks in the mirror and decides to buy a different mirror that will disfigure their image and make them continue to look in shape. We all want to be in the first category, but most of us are actually in the third. Most of us look in the mirror and scream our failures, our disappointments, and the suffering we have caused until we no longer have the energy to do anything but return to the vomit of our sameness. Fear says that enjoying the moment will kill progress. Fear says that if you enjoy your life right now, that you'll stay here, that you'll be trapped here. I know that I'm not where I want to wind up. and My brain says, if I enjoy this too much, I'll be trapped here. But in reality, it's much more likely that I'll be trapped here by discouragement than complacency. Most of us simply have a crisis of energy. What could we do to learn how to enjoy the moment more so that when it came time to kick everything into high gear, we actually had gas left in the tank? What beliefs or people in our life prop up our fatalism, prop up our discouragement? Are we really sure that these false gods can't be torn down? What are a few things we could do that would change our level of discouragement, that would change how impotent we feel to push through what we're going through? What ideas prop up our feelings of emptiness, our feelings of hopelessness, our feelings of fear, of being stuck in fear, of being forced to answer to fear, to answer to negativity, to answer it. Why have we made it our God, and are we sure we can't kill it? The first thing is that we need someone to talk to. We cannot do life alone, and given our current cultural circumstances, we have perhaps never been more encouraged to be completely isolated. We literally have been told to isolate but we were not designed to live in that environment, and we cannot stay on the right track, on a beneficial track, if we live alone. We have to have other people. We have to have the camaraderie. We have to have the social cues of being part of a group, of being part of a movement. We need the psychological, we need the spiritual, and we need the emotional connections that come with having other people in our life. The second thing is that maybe there's something we need to confess. Scripture says, Confess your sins one to another, that you may be healed. It doesn't say confess your sins one to another, that you may be forgiven, but that you may be healed. When we ask and call upon God to forgive us, He forgives us, and the spiritual element is sorted. But we still have the residue of our mind, we still have the residue of our psychology, not getting in line with our forgiveness. So we need to confess to another human being in order for our emotions, in order for our psychology to get in line with the spiritual forgiveness that had already taken place beforehand. Confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Another thing is find someone to give to. Is there some experience you have been through, something you have overcome that you could give away is there some addiction you've overcome that you could go encourage someone with? Is there anything that you could use right now to encourage another person 
famous story from the guy who came up with AA where he said, I need to find someone to give this to or I'm going to go get drunk. I think that speaks really deeply about the way we're wired. You need to give. You are designed to give away the things you've already overcome, the things God has already taken you out of, the things you have already survived. Find someone to give that away to, that knowledge, that experience, that wisdom. Find someone to give that to, and you will be encouraged in the process. Next, I want to talk about single window theory. Much like when we use our phone or our computer, we often have about 20 windows open at any one time. And although that may seem fine and has its certain advantages, as a result, we don't really have any depth in any one of those windows. If we could get 100% of enjoyment out of having one window open, we get about 5% of each of 20 windows. This is obviously not a perfect science, but the idea is the more thinly spread we are, the less depth we have in each area that we're spread. What are the conditions that we could create in our life that would allow us to be in one place at a time? Is there anything that could be changed that we could change that would allow it so that we could be in just one place? That as I'm talking to you right now, I am only talking to you right now. I'm not worried about anything else. I'm not worried about life or death or what I'm going to do later today. I'm only right here. How could I create that environment so that every one place we are in, we can actually enjoy it? We can actually feel the enjoyment of it. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says that if we do not embody the virtues of Christianity, then there is no condition that could create a heaven for us. This speaks deeply of God's intention for us, I believe. That we be able to feel every good thing, that we be able to experience every true and beautiful thing. Likewise, I think that the devil's goal is to get us so down the rabbit hole of exploitation that there is nothing that makes us feel at all. That we are dead inside. The devil's goal is to give us so much cotton candy, so much impulse. A tiny bit at a time, it is all drained of its meaning. It is drained of its beauty. It is drained of its color until we are dead inside and we can't feel anything. But if we follow the trail of Christ, if we follow the forgiveness, that a little bit at a time, our capacity to feel anything, our capacity to feel the good, increases. That when we give in to impulse, our momentary spikes, but our baseline lowers. And that is the reason it's useful. That is the reason the devil tempts us with it. Because he wants our baseline to lower and lower and lower until we're empty. Conversely, when we forsake an impulse, when we give up an impulse pleasure, when we give up the part of us that wants to self-destruct, every time we forsake that for the good, the true, the beautiful, our baseline of enjoyment increases just a tiny bit, one tiny piece at a time. Our baseline for enjoying what is real, what is true and beautiful, increases the more you take in the cup of coffee you had this morning, the more you can feel 
the singing of the birds, the more every good thing becomes more and more real. I believe the reason that we are so riddled with guilt and anger and resentment and fear over God is because we have beliefs, false beliefs, that are propping up our emptiness, that are propping up our self-hatred and our anger at God. Before I met my wife, there were years where I was angry at God, where I felt forgotten by God, where I would get up every single day and try to do what I was supposed to do and try not to do what I wasn't supposed to do. And in the end, it seemed like it didn't matter at all, that it was all just dust in the wind, that all of my effort was getting me nowhere. And for years, I felt that way. For years, I had resentment towards God. But at the very end, after many years of feeling that way, and many years of trying to chip away at flaws I had, at the few flaws that I felt like I could do something about, I finally turned over a leaf and said, God, if this is the life you have to give me, if this is what it must be, I will try to enjoy it. I will try to say thank you anyway. I will try not to be too good for it. I will try not to dilute myself into pretending I'm someone else. I will try to be grateful. And within a few weeks, I met my wife because something deep within me had changed. And also, to be honest, I just felt the time had come. When I met my wife, I had been single for about 10 years. And when I did meet her, you'd think I'd be riddled with anxiety, that I'd be nervous, that any word I said would go wrong. But I wasn't. I felt as if God was directing the entire experience, that God had my life on rails, that God had ordered every single event to go exactly the way that he had planned. And this was not a feeling I had ever felt before. It is not a feeling I feel on a normal day, and it is not a feeling that I really believed even existed. But it happened to me. It happened. If you're in a place now of great discouragement, what are some things in your day-to-day -day that you could change? Could you call someone and just talk to them about movies, about life, about something you saw on TV last night? Is there someone you could talk to? Is there something you need to confess? Is there something you need to get off your chest that you might be healed? And then lastly, is there control that we need to release to God? Maybe you think that if you don't control everything, God will hate you. And when you do control everything, it goes wrong and he still hates you. Maybe you have a false belief that he can't do it without you. And that's just not true. Now, how do I know it's not true? Because if you were to kill yourself, God would continue existing. He can use your life, and you can have meaning in every single day of your life. But God will go on without you. You are not Him, and you do not have to be Him. The serenity prayer says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. God will hold on to the things that you cannot control. He does not expect you or even want you to pretend to be him. 
Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest.